Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Lake podcast, where we're going to be exploring above and below the surface. We'll take a deep dive into the world of fishing, diving, and surfing. Every week, we're going to sit down with experts to learn more about them and get their freshest, hottest takes on all things salty. Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Lake podcast. I'm your host, Cheyenne Bearson, and today we have new team member Julie Higgs on with us. Today, we're going to discuss the USA women's spearfishing team. Julie, how's it going? Very good. How are you? Great. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Welcome to the team. And um, to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, yeah, my name's Julie Higgs. I've been a firefighter for 11 years um, in St. Lucie County, firefighter paramedic. I started spearfishing when I was a kid with my dad in the Bahamas. I grew up spending my summers on a sailboat and I started with a pole spear and started using a gun when I got older and I've been competing since 2014 and really enjoy it. <laughs> what a life. So tell us a little bit more on your backstory. Those sailboat adventures must have been incredible. Yeah, my my dad definitely was quite the handyman. We created a reputa- reputation in the Bahamas. I used to call him Daddy and the Girls because it was rare to see a dad with two little girls all by himself in the Bahamas. And we would spend about six weeks in the beginning of the summer and then two or three weeks at the end of the summer. And we would fish and dive every day and just enjoy the Bahamas and the clean water. And we knew all the locals. And every year we got to see our friends and they watched us grow. And we still go there from time to time. And it's it's like one big family. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. So what around what age would you say you started using a spear gun and familiarizing in that area of it? A spear gun. Uh, I started with a pole spear when I was 13. I think I got a spear gun when I was closer to 16. And that was probably a really fun upgrade, right? <laughs> you know, I uh, I wasn't used to it. it. It definitely, a pole spear, you're so fast. And we would go to the Bahamas all the time and spearfish out of an inflatable from the sailboat. But out here, it doesn't make sense to take the sailboat out offshore to hit rubble piles and things like that. So even though I spent most of my summer diving, we didn't do that much in Florida. And so when I got older, we had friends who would take us out and I would take my pole spear anyway, just because it was what I was familiar with. And I would shoot just as many fish as everybody else. And uh, it it took me a while to switch over to the gun. and, And sometimes I still use the pole spear just to change it up. Sometimes a pole spear can be more fun because like you said, the reload time, you know, you don't have to sit there and reload. You can just keep going and uh, it's a little bit speedier. Yeah, this time of year, the sheep's head are really thick. And sometimes I use a pole spear just to shoot them faster. And especially in dirty water, I tend to use a longer uh, spear gun for more band strength. And if the water is so dirty, I can't see the end of my gun. Sometimes I just switch to a pole spear just so I I can use it in dirty water. <laughs> totally. It's a bit of an advantage sometimes, you know, different tools. When did you first become a part of the USA women's team? So this team, this last year was the first time I was on the team itself. Um, I've known the girls on the team and competed with them for several years. In 2019, uh, my ex-boyfriend, Richie Zacker, was on the men's team and I helped that team in Argentina. So that was my first exposure to the world's team. And I just didn't do my first nationals until 2021. And I did really well. I got six overall against the men. And 
got a lot of attention for it. And everybody encouraged me to, and, and that was in Stewart. So it was pretty easy to sign up for a local tournament. Um, so everybody encouraged me to travel for the next nationals, which was in Lake Powell, Arizona. And I did, and I did very well in that tournament. I was, I think, in the top 10 um, in that tournament as well, which ranked me number one for the women's team. And that's how I ended up on the team. <laughs> Congratulations. That's awesome. So for myself and our listeners, can you give us a little bit of a difference on nationals and the USA women's team? So nationals moves around within the United States. So basically you're ranking against people within the United States and it it's supposed to change within the five regions. Basically there's the Northeast, the Northwest, kind of the central and the um, Southeast and the Southwest. So like this last year, Nationals was held in Hawaii. The year before, it was in Lake Powell, Arizona. The year before, it was in Stewart. This year, it will be held in the Keys. So it doesn't always make it to all five regions. It kind of depends on who's willing to host. But it moves to different regions within the United States. Um, you know, your biggest turnout is going to be the local area. And then the people who are most serious about qualifying travel so that both of their scores rank them for the team. Okay, that makes sense. And is, does that tie into the selection process for the USA team? Is that how they end up choosing people? Right. So how you rank in nationals, your scores are added together. So if a woman or, or a man, but we'll just talk about the women's team. If a woman only competes in nationals for one tournament out of the two years competing in nationals, then that is her score. I competed in both, so both of my scores were added together, um, and then it just goes in, in number order. It, it's a little bit complicated. It's also a percentage, so the person who, who gets first gets 100%, and then the person who gets second gets a percentage of that score, if that makes sense, and those percentages are added together. It creates a list. Okay, so is the expectation kind of to try to be at both of them, or does it really does it matter? Uh, for men, it definitely matters. Uh, there's not as big as a turnout for the women. Um, but if you compete in both nationals, then you're going to have a much higher score. So yeah, it definitely benefits you to compete in both. But if you do really well in one that, and the women who rank above you don't want to be on the team, then you still have a chance to possibly be on the team. Okay. So there's a, there's a possibility. Oops, lost it there for a second. There's a possibility that somebody might not want to go to where they're traveling and they sit that one out or something. Every tournament is different. It's held in a different part of the world with different conditions and everybody has their strengths in a tournament. So some people do really well in shallow water tournaments. Some people do really well in dirty water tournaments. Some people are very good at going deep. Um, so if, if someone doesn't feel comfortable going deep and the tournament is held in a location where you know you're going to have to go very deep to be competitive, maybe they sit that tournament out because they know that's not their strength. Sounds like there's a lot of competition and a lot of training that has to go into that for something like this. How did you train to prepare yourself for such a big event? So I just get out as often as I can. I go out when the weather's good, when the weather's bad. I travel often. I I'm in shallow water, deep water, clean water, dirty water. I just I go out with as many people as I can with people who are better than me. Um, I've done a little bit of pool training, but honestly, I just get out as often 
as I can. Uh, this year, I'm going to be taking some free diving classes to to work on my depth because right now I'm about an 80 foot diver. And if the tournament is held in a deeper place, I'd like to still be competitive. So I'm going to I'm going to start working on how deep I can go. Uh, so that will be my one of my biggest goals for this year. How deep do the tournaments range up to or have they ranged up to from what you've heard in the past? Uh, I know Italy was pretty deep. A lot of people were doing variable weight, which I've never even tried. And for those of you who don't know what variable weight is, basically you hold on to a weight that brings you to the bottom very quickly, uh, which enables you to go much deeper and stay at depth for a longer period of time. And these people were going to 150 feet deep and shooting small fish, hunting and looking for shooting small fish and bringing them up to the surface. Um, I've never tried that. I know that can be very damaging for your ears and, and unsafe at a competitive level, but a lot of these tournaments are held in places that you have to go that deep to find fish. Wow. So that's a whole new edge to it. It sounds fun though. It sounds interesting. Each tournament brings something new. It really does. Every tournament has a different species list, has a different environment. You're, you're, trying to figure out which spear gun is best for this tournament. What, what, what suit do I need to wear? What, how can I get local information? Do I hire a guide? Do I try to make friends with locals? Do I go way in advance and, and try to learn the area on my own? It's, you have to acclimate to the area in a way, make sure your gear is correct. I've traveled with people who get there and after a day of diving, they they call their friends at home. They say, mail me this, mail me that. I'm not comfortable and I think I need this in order to do well in this tournament. And uh, it's it's completely different every tournament, which which is cool. It's it's never the same and definitely scouting plays a big role in, in how you do and that's that's why it's so important. Lots of preparation, right? How long does it take you to prepare physically in all the aspects you were just talking about? And then there's another side to it that we'll get into in a minute. But tell us a little bit about that. You mean as far as scouting? As far as just like get, you're gathering the information and kind of readying yourself to go somewhere you maybe never been and do diving that you're not necessarily used to. So as soon as you find out where the location is, basically starts. You're, you're looking up YouTube videos. Uh, you're looking up on Navionics to see the, the topography. You're looking up weather and water temp for that time of year. So you're trying to educate yourself as best you can in that way. And then you get there normally about a week and a half to two weeks before the tournament. And you get in the water, you test, you go outside the zone and, and shoot the fish and see how they react to you while you're hunting. You see what kind of structure they like, how how they act. You you try to reach out to people in the area and see if they'll give you any advice. Um, most of what you need to find out is done while scouting. But as soon as we know the location, we're, we're already looking over the rules, learning about the species, watching videos on what they look like when they swim and how they seem to act and react to divers. And there's definitely a lot that goes into it. It sounds like a lot of prep, but in a good way. And you're learning a new, a new basically skill set for this species of fish, this area. What's the mental prep like? Because I know there has to be a lot that goes into that as well. Mental prep? Um, I, I'm a firefighter. I handle stress pretty well. I'm the kind of person who, if I feel like I put the appropriate amount of work in, 
then I feel pretty comfortable. Um, I, I know that as long as I dive as many times as I possibly can, then I'm going to be competitive. Every, every tournament, if you think you're doing well, then other people in the tournament are doing well. If you think you're not doing well, then there's a good chance everyone in the tournament's not doing well. When you have a lot of divers in a small area, it tends to spook the fish. So sometimes you don't get as many fish as you, as you were thinking you were going to while you're scouting. You have an idea in your mind of how many fish you should have to shoot to be competitive. And you normally get less than that because all of those divers shooting in a small area scares all the fish away. And so you never know till the weigh-in, but you just do the best you can. That makes sense. And with you being a firefighter paramedic, I'm sure you're really good at adapting to your new circumstances and environments as you go. Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing is is you are having fun. And if if you know you're putting the work in, then you're good. You're going to be competitive. You're going to place you're, you're going to place some in some shape or form and, and be if, if you put the work in then you're going to be proud of how you did. True. And I liked what you said about how if you feel like you're not doing well. Everybody else probably is having the same luck and vice versa. I feel like that goes to say for both fishing and spear fishing tournaments because it's so based on conditions and, you know, any little thing could skew your results. Yeah, weather, like I said, a lot of divers in the same area or, yeah, it's uh, normally when I come in at the end of the day, there's people in the tournament that, you know, have historically done really well. And I ask them how they did, and I compare my catch to theirs. And if if it's comparable, then I know I've I've probably done pretty well. But you never really, you never want to start. You don't want to say anything until after the after the weigh-in because <laughs> yes. it'll it'll come back and bite you. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So where was twenty twenty three nationals location held? It was held in Kona, Hawaii, which was absolutely amazing. It was a kayak tournament on invasive species. So we targeted Roy, um, two types of snapper that I can't really pronounce correctly in Hawaiian, but all three fish were invasive species. The main target was the Roy. That was the easiest fish to get in numbers. And I just love kayak tournaments because it adds a whole nother part of the tournament. You have to have some sort of physical shape to be competitive. And while we were scouting, well, basically, there was fish everywhere. Kona is the fishiest island out of all of Hawaii. So it was pretty exciting that we all knew everybody was going to shoot a good amount of fish. And with the there was over 100 people in this tournament. And initially, I think the zone was supposed to be two, two miles long. But since so many people were in the tournament, they ended up expanding it to four miles. And what we learned during scouting was the direction of the wind changes halfway through the day. So in a kayak... You want to go with the wind, ride the wind to your to your spot, and then ride the wind back, which makes sense to everyone, which is why we all had the same idea. So we all went left, and which was also my idea. Uh, and when I saw how many divers went left, I decided last minute, you know what, I'm not going to go where everybody else is going. I'm just going to go straight out. And I had an area to myself for a couple hours, and that ended up placing me second for women which there was actually several women who competed in, competed in Hawaii. And I placed second to um, a local girl who's very good. So I was pretty happy with how that turned out. That sounds like a great turnout. How many days was that? That was a one-day tournament. Okay, so pressure was on. 
Yeah. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like you made the a, right move. Yeah, there a lot of the tournaments are one day or two day tournaments. Um, but this was just a one day tournament. So yeah, we definitely went all in. <laughs> and you said there was about a hundred people in this one? Yeah, Hawaii has a lot of divers as a really big diving community and a lot of people had traveled for the tournament. So that was one of the largest nationals we've had so far. So one day, hundred people, you're battling the, the different wind and using the best of your knowledge to adjust to the situation with, you saw those divers, you decided to risk it, go in a little bit different direction and it ended up paying off for you. It did. I ended up diving a little bit deeper than I was expecting to have to. Um, the more dives you make, the better you're going to do. So I was hoping to start shallow and work deep, but there were so many people inside of me. I just, I, I knew if I got away from people, I was going to do better. So I ended up going in a different direction, a little deeper than I initially thought, but it definitely paid off. Awesome. And is, were you guys working as a team at all? Was there a team environment in place? Yes. Yeah, so ultimately, all of us are competing as individuals, but we do team up. So the men's team are three men. There's mixed team, which is a man and a woman. And then there's women's team, which is two women. I was competing on a mixed team. I competed with Kevin from Hammerhead. Uh, he's my he's one of my main sponsors and he lives in Hawaii. Uh, so it was good to spend some time with him. We scouted together. I actually did quite a bit better than him. So I, I think I impressed him. <laughs> but um, we got fourth place team. Um, out of Yeah, they, they ranked the first five teams. So we got a trophy out of it. Um, but we definitely had fun preparing for the tournament. He taught me a lot about Roy because he's a local and that's that's a local species. And uh, yeah, so we got fourth place team and I got second place woman is what we ended up walking away with. Okay, so you guys did awesome at Nationals. You came in second, uh, your team came in fourth and you rolled right into Worlds after that, correct? So yes, I competed in Hawaii and that will rank me for the next Worlds team. The, in 2021 and 2022, that ranked me for the world's team in 2023. We went to Laredo, Spain. The women's team ended up placing third. So we got on the podium and there was 13 teams total. So third is pretty good. And these are, these are competitors, from, competitors from all over the world. And I got 13th overall against 30 women. Based on what you guys ended up placing in, how does the scoring work to get to the podium and to be placed? So the scoring is extremely complicated. We're given a packet that we're supposed to memorize, the fish species. The, there's three different classes of weight for the fish. And every you get points for weight. You get points for species. You get points for new species. You get a certain amount of species. And when you get all of those fish, you get bonus points. There's negative points if your fish is not two-thirds of the weight it has to be. Um, if it's between that two-thirds and, and the weight, then it's you don't get points or negative points. You just don't get any points. But it's very stressful when in about two seconds you have to decide, is this fish going to get me points or is this fish going to get me negative points? Unlike other tournaments, or normally you're just shooting as many fish as you can to to get that score, you have to look at every single fish, determine the weight, 
that's a big part of our scouting is learning the fish species, how much each fish weighs, how big they have to be to get us those points that we're trying to get. Most of the fish we were targeting were pretty small. The one species that was pretty big was the conger eel. It had to be over 10 kilos to count. Uh, I did shoot one that was not big enough, but it also did not get me negative points. Uh, but it was pretty disappointing when it was about one kilo short of getting me a lot of points for the tournament. <laughs> oh, man, so close. So mentioning the conger eel, what else did you guys, what else was, were your species there? Because I know species sound like a, they're a little bit different just from what you've said. What were your species? There was a lot. I think there was over 30 species. Uh, most of them were different kinds of sargo. Uh, they kind of look like different species of, of sand perch for us. Um, there was also triggerfish, mullet. Honestly, triggerfish and mullet were on the bigger size of, of the fish we were shooting. Um, but mostly it was different types of sargo and um, dentex was one of the species. But yeah, it was mostly everybody was looking for those conger eels. Um, I kind of forget some of the other names. They were all in Spanish. I was more concerned of what they look like, not what their names were. <laughs> yes, totally. I'll have to look up some of those because, you know, you hear about like, you know what your fish look like and sound like here, their names. And then like you were saying, they look like sand perch, like you, you know, to just draw yeah, the correlation. You, yeah, you, you, you learn what they look like. You learn about how much they weigh and which fish you're most likely to get during the tournament. And a lot of these fish had three or four names. So I would pick one name like, okay, this one, we're going to call it this name instead of all four names and just hope the rest of the people on the boat know what you're talking about. <laughs> and as far as you said, there were 13 teams, right? 13 women's teams. 13 women's teams. How many competitors, women competitors were there? There are three women on each team and normally an alternate, which is what we have. Okay. So that's a big group and everybody's diving, but the alternate... The alternate, so on our team, we had the alternate switch out with one of the competitors the second day, um, but not all teams do that. We just, our, our alternate is a very good diver and she worked just as hard to be there as everyone else. We were all working together fundraising and we didn't want her to make that big effort to sit on the sidelines. So we had her switch out um, with our, where our team is ranked first, second, and third. So we had her switch out with our third ranked diver the second day that's really great that you guys were able to include everybody and make everybody feel valued as they should because it's a lot of hard work and effort from what you've told us about the prep and just the the studying the species and the terrain and everything that goes into it yeah shelby was our alternate she's really amazing and i couldn't imagine asking my friends and family to support me when the, when there's a chance that i might not compete so we, we all voted on it and agreed that she should be able to compete with the rest of us. And there was there was no argument there. We all we all were very happy to have her compete the second day. Good. That's awesome. I'm glad she got to compete. And I'm glad that you guys all did so well and worked together as a team and landed third place. That's amazing. And I'm sure there were some reflections that, you know, with all the rush and the hustle and bustle, the emotions of being you know tunnel foot vision in the tournament in the competition what was your like post competition reflection did you have time to reflect on anything afterwards so one of the other girls on the team her name's Roosevelt and she's been competing much longer than I have this is her third time being on the women's team and she is absolutely amazing 
And she did better than me in the tournament, which is pretty amazing because the first day she took a jellyfish to the face and had an allergic reaction. Her face swelled up, so she only had one eye. And she still did better than me in the tournament. So that just goes to show what an amazing competitor she is. After the first day of the tournament, we got together as a team and decided that we should try to place Rosebell in the top three in addition to placing the team as high as possible. Whatever we get per person on the team, it's all added together. So, and the biggest point fish you can get is the conger eel. So I had a conger eel spot in zone B that I had saved. And I gave that number to her in the hopes that she would get that fish and she would get in the top three. And the points, whether I shoot the fish or she shoots the fish, go to the team regardless. So it it didn't matter um, as long as it, it was harvested. And she ended up finding it and deciding it was too small because unfortunately the conger eel you can only see a little piece of it and you don't know how big it is and uh, i told her when i found it i showed her videos from my gopro i'm like it's close but it it might not be big enough and and she made the call not to not to shoot at tournament day but that was a really neat experience to sit down as a team and agree to share numbers and strategy to place the team as high as possible and possibly Rosebell as high as possible. That's really great. I love that teamwork aspect. And I love that even though you guys were in a competition when it's an individual competition, you still found space to work together and support each other for each other's goals. That's so awesome to me. Yeah, I don't think that was your initial plan. (laughs) We, uh, we, we've competed alongside in several tournaments. So ultimately, we really got to know each other well on the trip. And I think the first day we were all like just doing as best as we could as individuals. And it wasn't until that night where we sat and talked about it that just we decided that that's what that's what should be done. That's the right thing to do. And it was it was really nice. I feel like I really bonded with my team that night. And I'm glad that we did it that way. It sounds like an amazing trip and so many ups and downs and good outcomes all together. What was one of your most memorable moments, whether it be high or low? Probably shooting that conger eel the second day and hoping because they were, it was the highest valued fish that we could shoot. And I was in an area that my boat captain told me, he's like, there's a rock in there and it hits the current like this and there should be a conger eel in there. And I probably made 15 dives on this rock in the back of my head. I'm like, there's no there's no eel in here. And and then I found it and I didn't I didn't find any that were big enough while I was scouting. So I wasn't confident that I was going to find one in the tournament. And so when I found this eel, it was kind of funny cuz we played cat and mouse cuz you'd put the flashlight on it and he'd back into the hole in a way that I couldn't shoot him. And then when I took my flashlight out, off he he'd come back out. So I had to go down without my flashlight, shoot the fish and and pull him out. And there slimy and they wrap all in your legs and he seemed pretty big and I was pretty excited and I got in the boat and I looked at my captain who's a local and I said do you think this is big enough and he goes no I'm like no <laughs> <laughs> but we still weighed it it was close it was not negative points which is the most important thing uh but it was it was definitely a big disappointment 
Oh man, all that work and it was so close. Side note for me, do they bite? I don't know. They look like, do you know what a conger eel looks like? It looks like an old man eel. <laughs> no, um, I have no idea. It w- I've never, I had never shot one before this tournament. Uh, and it did say on the internet that they bite because I did look that up. <laughs> they don't have giant teeth, so that's a good thing. Um, but I still didn't want to get bit, but I, I had a good shot in the head and, uh, definitely was not an issue for those people in the tournament that shot those eels mid body. That definitely, uh, probably a little scarier. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that would present a challenge, especially, especially how you're saying they wrap around you and stuff. I'm just thinking teeth and sliminess wrapping around you. Sounds a little scary. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely got a headshot on mine and felt pretty good about it. But had I taken a body shot, I, I would have figured it out. But <laughs> I'm glad I got a headshot. <laughs> Me too. Well, that's a really good, like, I could feel your emotions through that of, you know, so much work. And it sounds rewarding still, though, because you weren't sure if you were going to find one during the tournament. And you did. That's the biggest thing in an area where... You've never been before a species that you've never targeted. You were able to pinpoint it anyway. So that's really awesome. <laughs> so with all this traveling and spearfishing and you being a full-time paramedic firefighter, how do you find the work-life balance to pull it all off? So as a firefighter, I work every third day for 24 hours. Um, that ends up being about nine or 10 days a month. And I can switch those days with my coworkers. So if I work a 48-hour shift and I take one day off, me taking one day off is five days off in a row. So even though working 48 hour shifts is not very fun, it does give me more flexibility than the average person who works nine to five. So I'm definitely very blessed with that. Uh, And I use that to my full advantage. This month I'm working four 48s because I want to do some traveling later this year. So it's, I, I work Everyone thinks I don't work, but I just, I, I work in secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those 48 sound brutal. And I hope that on these next four, you're able to get some sleep at some point during the 48 hours. We, St. Lucie County is a very busy, busy department. Um, so we definitely work quite a bit in those 40 hours, in those 48 hours. But we get some sleep when we can. We We make it work. Well, I'll be praying you get lots of sleep so that you're charged up and ready for your adventures. What are your upcoming trips that you have planned? Right now, I'm planning on going to Costa Rica next month. I really enjoy surfing. I'm looking forward to some really nice waves. And we're also going to be some doing some blue water spearfishing and inshore spearfishing as well. Sounds like a blast. Any insights on what you're targeting you can share with us? Uh, hopefully, elephant tuna. Uh, if we have visibility inshore, I'd like to get into the Bargo Rojo or Cabrera, maybe some big amberjack, um, maybe some mahi if they're still around. We're get, getting a little late in the season for those. Um, but we're definitely hoping to get back into the tuna. <laughs> oh, well, I hope it's a success. What are your, do you have any big goals for 2024 other than shooting some epic fish in Costa Rica? I I travel as much as I can. We're doing nationals in the Keys in 2024, and I hope to do very well in that tournament. I'm competing with another woman, so it'll be my first time on a woman's team. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. They live in the Keys, so hopefully their local knowledge will help me out. So that's a big goal is to do well in nationals. I, what else? I'm taking a lot of classes this year. I think I mentioned that earlier. So I'm hoping to improve my depth. 
And aside from the the Costa trip, I don't have anything else planned yet. I would like to get to California and try bluefin tuna, uh, but I think I'm going to wait for some reports and see see if it's if it's worth going this year because that's not a guaranteed everything every year. But I'm just working a lot right now so that when I get invited on those last minute trips, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you have a pretty epic year planned ahead, and we'd love to follow along with your social medias. Can you give us a shout on those, please? So if you type in Julie Higgs Spearfishing, I'll pop up just about anywhere. I have a website where you can find everything, my world records, my tournament history, my social media. I'm Julie Higgs Spearfishing on Instagram, Julie Higgs Spearfishing on TikTok, and Julie Higgs Spearfishing on YouTube. I'd say my best pictures go on Instagram, my best videos go on, long videos go on YouTube, and I'm just now breaking into the TikTok, so we'll see how it goes. Well, in the spirit of that, shout out your world records, too, because we want to hear all about those. So I actually just got my eighth record, which is the Kingfish, and the IUSA um, website has been having some issues. So my record is up, but my picture of my record is not, so we're, we're working on that. Half of my records are pole spear because I got a lot of them in the Bahamas and I like to use a pole spear here. But I have the Cobia world record, Yellowjack world record, Blackjack world record, Kingfish, Gag Grouper. Well, congratulations on those and congratulations for all your accomplishments, uh, getting, you know, blazing through nationals and into worlds and uh, crushing those records. So we're so proud of you here at Team Salt Life and we're really glad we got to have you on the Above and Below podcast. And I look forward to talking to you next about anything and everything that your trips have in store for you. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Great talking to you, Julie. Bye. Thanks for listening in to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Real Salt Life. If you've enjoyed this episode, rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to help spread the word. And remember, stay salty.